welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about what we do at chicagojustice.org. If you're new to the pod, please subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, please smash that subscribe button and the like button. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to get involved in our work or find out more about our activism and what our other volunteers are doing, go to cjpnation.org. And if you like what you hear and you want to support us, hit us up on Patreon. We'd really appreciate it. Go to chicagojustice.org and hit donate, either one. All right, today we are we have a um, an interview on basically whether or not the youth are as responsible as everyone thinks they are for the crime increase experienced in America in 2020. We feature an interview with an expert on that very issue, Richard Mandel, who's Senior Research Fellow for Youth Justice at the Sentencing Project in DC. And we're gonna be talking about his recent report entitled Data Reveals Violence Among Youth Under 18 Has Not Spiked in the Pandemic. So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. You know, if you watch the media at all during COVID, I know we probably all watched a ton of it. As violence started to increase, it was all about youth. I think uh, to some degree or not, it was related to the fact that the schools were shut down and they weren't in school and um, how that became a problem. Then they had unsupervised youth out there. So what we're going to talk about today with Richard is whether or not that crime is actually representative of a skyrocketing crime rate among youth or was it just a mirage what does the data say so i will be back with you after the interview to uh, wrap things up it's a really great interview enjoy hello everyone thank you for joining us today we are lucky enough to have richard mandel who's a senior research fellow of youth justice at the sentencing project richard thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me Today, we're going to talk about a little research uh, you published at the Sentencing Project that is titled Data Reveals Violence Among Youth Under 18 Has Not Spiked in the Pandemic. So can, just to start out, can you tell our audience what the, what the Sentencing Project is all about and what your work specifically focuses on? Sure. I mean, the Sentencing Project is about 35 years old, and it's probably the leading um, organization um, in Washington, in the nation, um, focused specifically on excessive sentencing. I mean, we've in this country seen a, um, we're about to celebrate about probably the 50th anniversary is right about now of the rise in mass incarceration in this country. Um, it's uh, incarceration rate is multiplied by about five or more nationwide. It's an experiment unlike anywhere else in the world and we're an outlier in it. Um, there's tons of research saying that it really doesn't protect um, public safety and there's there's mass injustice involved in it. And the Sensing Project is really dedicated to um, to focusing on, on reducing the those um, excessive sentencing um, and extreme sentencing um, in the justice system. And my part of it um, is youth justice, which is also a focus. Um, and we've been trying to um, reduce mass incarceration of youth, which is also US as an outlier, many times higher rates of youth incarceration. We take kids away from their families because of misbehavior in rates that nowhere else in the world um, even contemplates. Um, and we've tried to attack that. We've tried to 
Um, we focus also on the racial disparities in the youth justice system, which are as bad or worse than they are in the um, adult system. And also we're really focusing now on trying to shrink the footprint of the youth justice system. I mean, the kids misbehave, it's part of um, growing up and to have a justice response to that is almost always counterproductive, except in extreme cases, yet we tend to throw the justice system on kids, especially kids of color. Um, and so that's what we're working about. We just had, listening to you, we just had two reporters, one from ProPublica, one from the Chicago Tribune on recently, talking about a story they did about ticketing youth in schools. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, Illinois outlawed schools from doing it. So schools just hand the kids over to the, the school resource officer. What a name right. for a cop in a school. And the cop writes the tickets. And it's and in, in 2019, they outlawed writing tickets for truancy. And in 19 and 20, there were over a thousand tickets for kids for truancy, even though it was against the law. Cause that's just how our, our uh, ability to deal with youth is it's all wrapped into this criminal justice system. Yeah. It, and it just doesn't fit how, how kids grow up and what's successful. I'm, I'm working um, soon to release a report looking at diversion in the juvenile justice system and about half of the kids or almost half of the kids in the U S who get arrested or referred to court, are diverted. They aren't, their cases aren't processed in court. And there's always been a lot of it. It's actually less than it was years ago. And it's less than most any other country, even though there's more and more and more research showing that kids who get into the justice system have worse outcomes for public safety, for their education, for life, um, than the kids who were diverted. The, the justice system itself is toxic for kids. Um, yet we, we pretend it's not. We tend to use it anyway. Um, and it's especially it's a point of extreme disparities worse than other parts of the system. Um, it's um, anyway, that, that's what I'll be talking about soon when I, when I release this report. The next yeah, for, for those who haven't seen it, I'm going to re-recommend a documentary called Kids for Cash of the scam in, in Pennsylvania. I don't know if it was even a scam. These two judges, um, one specifically just threw every kid in front of him in juvenile detention for anything. And it seems to be that was his political belief of what should happen. But he was also involved in the building of the new juvenile detention center. And there's allegations of him getting kickbacks for, for the kids he put in, but there was nothing really proven of that. And I'm not sure if the kickback scheme was really there. I think it's worse if there wasn't a kickback scheme. And he just thought ideologically that was the right thing to do. It's wrong if he took money. It's horrible. But it's worse if uh, yelling at your uncle, some judge just thought, no, that's exactly what should happen. You should go into juvenile detention. So people I mean, should. It, it's, yeah, we talk about our nation as a nation of family values. But when it comes to the justice system, families um, don't matter. Um, the state thinks it knows better than the parent. It's, it's, it's yeah. anti-conservative. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't talk about hypocrisy in politics now, whatever you do, because there's none of that. <laughs> yeah. And um, we're just a system getting off the set of questions, but we're just, we're just a country like we just love more justice system, more cops as the answer to our problems, you know, and we're going to talk about it in your report, but like we carjack and everything, everything the answer is more cops. Biden's talking because God, does he love cops? He's talking about funding and putting a hundred thousand new cops on the street. As, as, as cities go to remove police from things, mm -hmm. Biden's going to give cities around the country money, billions to hire a thousand more, a hundred thousand more cops drives me crazy. I, I, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. I mean, we have, we're, we are really suffering a murder epidemic in this country. And it seems, there seems to be evidence that a little bit of evidence that it's peaking and maybe going to start declining, but it increased 30% in one year 
Um, that's a lot of it's and and there's not insignificant evidence that more police does can help not does help can help do that so it's not it's not quite crazy um, but what is crazy um, at least that and I wrote about it in this report is this um, wave of news coverage and hysteria over youth crime a youth crime wave that there's no evidence exists <laughs> well Right. And the media, we're going to, we'll get to the media. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the results. I got a couple of the quotes here I want to talk about. So the first one is the share in the crime, the share of crimes in the U.S. committed by youth has fallen by more than half over the past two decades. It's something you never hear about, by the way, in the news, they just can't help but not report that. Can you talk, uh, so can you talk a little about, uh, give us insight to the history of like juvenile crime and what's happened over the last two decades? Um, well, I mean, the past two, two decades, um, came after the 1990s, which was um, a, a period when there was a serious spike in youth crime and a much, much worse um, hysteria over, over it and overreaction to it and talk about juvenile super predators with no morals and um, terrible and very much race tinged conversation that led to a lot of very um, retrograde policies, um, very harsh, um, Adult time for adult crime, um, great increases in um, in incarceration, use of juvenile boot camps, despite lack of any evidence that they did any good. Um, and since then, they, they went up, and then it went down. By the time a lot of those laws were passed, the crime rate was already youth crime rate was already going down, and it's continued to go down. In nineteen um, in, in the year two thousand, the kids were fifteen percent of all arrests nationwide. Um, in 2019, the latest year that we have data, they were 7%, more than half down, and it's down for every crime category. Um, kids are a smaller share of, um, of arrests. Yeah, that's actually, that. those are really good stats. Um, unfortunately, I don't think stats like that in the headlines get you clicks. Um, cause I, I have a big they, problem with them. They might, if they got in the headlines, but they're not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they certainly don't think about it. Um, we did a, um, we did a report on sexual assault and domestic violence media coverage and how scant it was over a year, mm -hmm. about a decade ago, published in 2013. And then we had this event where we had the editors, the top people, one of the mid-level manager at the Chicago Tribune, the top of the Sun-Times in Chicago, mm -hmm. and, and some activists and some uh, representatives from the justice system in this big event. And the head of the Sun-Times media group said, yes, we should do better. But don't ever forget, we know what gets clicks. <laughs> and at least, uh, and the, you just, it, now the audience was mostly women, shocker, right? Okay. We're talking about domestic violence, sexual okay. assault. And it was just a groan in the room, right? They were just mm -hmm. like, oh my God, what just happened? And I thanked them afterwards for, I'm like, at least you're honest. And he's okay. like, yeah, that was my goal. Um, Not the classic definition of a gaffe is accidentally telling the truth. <laughs> Yeah. And it seemed like he was, he, I don't think like from talking to him afterwards, it seemed like it wasn't an accident. Like he knew what that was going to get. Right. But he just yeah. wanted to be honest with people. Yeah. Okay. So you talked a little bit about homicides and we have had a homicide um, increase. Um, in my perspective, you throw a pandemic on top of the problems that urban communities, especially were feeling um, pre 2020. And I, 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 to me, crime going up was a, uh, almost a certainty, um, especially violent crimes, just because the stressors that, um, you know, the communities are already facing, underserved communities are already facing, and then you throw a pandemic on, it's just, it's a multiplier. 
Um, well, it's, it, it's odd because the, there's been a big spike in murders and also, um, which is not reported as clearly gun crimes, but other types of crime, even violent crime didn't increase um, or didn't increase. There hasn't been a big spike um, in other types of crime. Um, and some of that, I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to parse out what the factors are. I mean, there was a huge increase in, um, in gun sales nationwide. And then between that and the ice and the isolation and disruption of kids' lives, uh, or people's lives, uh, it's um, it's been a tough it's been a tough situation. And I, I have criticized for a long time. I think Chicago and urban centers need like a gun violence office, but one that works strictly on um, reporting to the investigating and then reporting to the the this residence what do we think is the cause of all these individual violent incidents mm -hmm. because it's far too much in the reporting gang violence gang violence well right. is it gang violence or was it interpersonal violence because those two have two different ways you address those and i think we we know far too little you know chicago reported some like 60 or 70 percent clearance rate which was absolutely ridiculous in the last year or two um at times their clearance rate shot up um, mostly exceptional, like they know who did it, but they can't prove it supposedly. Well, well, then was it interpersonal? Or was it gang related? What were the circumstances? What do we think the cause was? Um, because I wouldn't be shocked to see that a lot of this is actually interpersonal violence. Um, I, where... the, you were getting pretty far beyond my expertise yeah, on yeah. youth justice. And, yeah. um, and again, the big point of my report is that most of this murder spike isn't kids. Um, but I, I think um, what I do understand is that it tends to be a very small segment of the population that is involved in um, as victims and as perpetrators mm -hmm. of um, these kinds of shootings. And, um, and so focusing in on interrupting that violence cycle seems like a pretty good idea. All right, so onto a data question. Mm -hmm. Your report highlighted, and I've always had issues with how the uniform crime reports are collected and categorized. And now I, I think Nibers gets better at this, but the National Institute based uh, incident based reporting system carjackings, mm -hmm. there seems to be some problem with the data. I believe carjackings went down, but we're not exactly I mean, carjackings with youth. So explain that to us because there's something about the carjackings being a subcategory of robberies. How is that all categorized? Well, the, the fact is that there is no national data on carjackings. It's not a category that's tracked. Um, there's also the problem, um, which is that the nation we are transitioning now from that uniform crime reports was just, which is just the number of arrests essentially without a lot of information attached to it um, as the main statistical um, database to this um, incident-based reporting system, which is much richer, but right now there's, there's an increase in this in the number of jurisdictions doing the NIBRS, but it's still much less than all. And it used to be that everybody did the uniform crime reports, but now a lot of them doing. It. So we're in a we're in we're in a trough in terms of how much data we have. Right at this critical moment, we have much worse data than we're used to, and much more worse data than we need. Um, in terms of carjacking, we just really don't know. We've had spikes in a number of places. I mean, there are reported spikes. I mean, I think that there's um, some question about those data, but it's only from a dozen, 15 cities that we have this um, data, this this scary story, um, it might be a little bit more 
more places in carjacking, but we don't have any national data about it. We do have national data about robberies and robberies are down among youth. Um, robbery arrests among youth are overall are down of which carjackings are a subcategory. Okay, one of the stats um, I loved and I, I try to tell people like you have to have a, a, a bigger picture and understanding it's great to get a data point, but what does it actually mean? So, right, you throw over represented in arrests in Chicago for carjackings. But, and in other places too. Right, okay. But only 5% of carjackings are solved. It's, it might, that was for that, for that one year. I mean, I think typically it's more 10%, 15%, but it's certainly a, a very small minority of the cases are lead to arrest. And there's um, some folks say, I think it's an open question. Some, I mean, who's going to get arrested for carjackings are the ones kids that are the people who aren't good at it. Mm -hmm. And kids are less good at driving. They do things in groups. They do things impulsively. So maybe it's not that surprising that um, they're the ones getting arrested. Or it's certainly not a proven point that they're just because they're a large share of that 10% of cases that are solved. They are the rest in those 10%. That doesn't mean that they are um, in fact behind um, this wave of carjackings to the extent it's it is a national phenomenon. What degree do you think, and I ask a lot of my guests this because I have problems with media reporting. Well, I, I guess I'll just ask this. How well do you think the media covers these issues in general? Uh, these issues, not well. I mean, I think that we are seeing a, it, I mean, there's the whole, if it bleeds, it leads. Um, what gets clicks, what gets attention, and certainly Crime is down is a lot less um, click-worthy story than me, kids out of control. Um, and I think that there's there's been a wave of stories. And I also think that there's, um, to some extent, um, some police agencies have sort of fed the narrative and see a, and some politicians have fed the narrative because they see a benefit for their, them, their parochial interests to create this panic. Um, and I think that there's been some political movement towards, I mean, the, um, the right has been quiet about crime and they've been, there's been either silence or cooperation in justice reform until the last year or two. I think Trump started a, um, some push to, to sort of let's ratchet back up the rhetoric about fear of crime and American carnage and like that. Um, and I think that there's, um, there's been some self-interest. Yeah, certainly. I think, I think Trump, saw a political opportunity most of us at least the midst of larger cities are run by democrats right so to demonize them and and their constituents fed um fed the narrative he wanted and also fed his constituents um his voters thoughts about the cities well yeah, i think it, it parallels the whole immigrant his dynamic with immigrants he said things that you didn't think politicians could say and get away with but um he showed you could and you can get benefit from it so Others are yeah. learning that lesson, unfortunately. They are in Chicago. We had a, they are, and we have a big problem in Chicago with that. We had a local politician, a city council member, which we call Alderman in Chicago. There was a, a, a study came out about traffic stops and about how, what a huge number are, are blacks and how blacks are ticketed at a much higher rate. And he goes, well, they, they just need to learn. And they asked the Alderman from an oh, almost entirely white area. It's like, they just got to learn to talk their way out of tickets and obey the officers like all the white people do. It was like, whoa, and yeah, he wasn't 
no shame in that either. And it's like, there's a Trump there. That's what Trump allowed to happen because, you know, t- five years ago, seven, well, seven years ago, now that would have been almost career ending. Okay. A couple more and we'll get you out of here. Um, the vast majority of individuals arrested for homicide in 2020 were uh, about 92 and a half percent were adults, a higher share than any of the, in any of the prior three years. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think a lot of people think it's mostly not more. I would think if you asked a lot of people, uh, especially in Chicago, but in suburbia around cities, they would think it's almost all youth doing this. Well, there's a definition of youth. I mean, my, the, we're talking about underage, under 18, Mm -hmm. um, so I think that a lot of the murders are um, people in their, what you might consider youth, um, late teens, early 20s, um, not nearly all, um, but it's, it's just not true. It's a, it's a false perception that's fed by media narratives and that's what we're trying to combat. Okay, um, your report looked at data and t- for a lot of it was in data on what happened in 2020 because I know it's the last data available when you did it. How? And still. And still, yes. How um, how much should we take 2020 data? Um, like, how easily can it be? Because it's a pandemic year. How, how easily or problematic is it to compare what's going on in 2020 to previous years because of the pandemic? And it's changed like lockdowns and everything like that. Well, I think that um, there's been part of the media story has been the pandemic has caused a crime spike. So you've got to compare it. That's that's the mm-hmm. question. Um, there's the problem that the data is not as strong as it could and should be, as I was saying, that we're in a transition between these two. Uh, I mean, I think it's a positive development to, to go with a better, richer set of source of data, but the timing, it couldn't be worse. Um, the bigger question to me is, okay, so... Um, we didn't see a spike in youth violence in 2020, or we don't have any clear evidence that there's any. Could there have been in 2021? Could there be some going on in 2022? Um, the answer is we don't know. Um, the data will come out. But what we do know is that there's no evidence from the data we do have of this spike that seems to be all over the media. Um, when you look on balance, it looks better rather than worse um, since the pandemic started. So yeah. far. Right. I read those numbers in your report. Um, and I was kind of shocked by it myself, just because I thought the the impact of the pandemic was so dramatic on everyone's lives, um, let alone the people who are living in the underserved communities and have traditional problems and just have all the um, issues with racism and segregation and poverty piled up. I just thought, wow, I thought those numbers would have skyrocketed. So let's leave um, on this. All right, go ahead. But not, um, except in murders, which um, maybe is tied to the fact that there's just so many more guns in circulation right now. Um, Yeah, it always comes back. (laughs) It always comes back to guns to some degree. You're always coming back to guns. Um, And if this is a lot of interpersonal violence, not having a gun there would would automatically reduce, uh, automatically reduce the level of violence. And for those who don't think, like I, I've heard criticisms, well, they would just stab them. No, they wouldn't, right? Um, there's a scene in New Jack City about um, what it takes to shoot someone versus getting right up to them and shooting them right in the head right there and what it takes mentally to do that. 
that is the same thing like stabbing. We know from interviews with people that have been in jail and prison for violent offenses with guns that they just wouldn't have done it because the the, the ability to be away from someone gives you safety. Um, so don't think about it. If we just get rid of the guns. All right, last, let's leave on some good notes or try to. Um, Before we go, yeah. just one other sort of going back to that, we don't know what's going to have, the data will look like for 2021 and 2022. I think it's important also to say, if the youth crime rate did go up for all the reasons you're mentioning, it wouldn't be a shock. Um, But it also wouldn't be a justification for the kinds of um, retrograde policies that are being advocated. Let's roll back, raise the age. Let's prosecute more kids and for school offenses. Let's um, have more detention. It's none of these things work. We know what works and those are not the things that work. So none of the even if crime is higher, it doesn't mean that we need to go back to policies that don't work. We know don't work. Right. We're such a not unnuanced society, right? Like the politicians, because they won't get reelected, can't come and just say, crime's going up during the pandemic, some violence. Yeah, we thought that we, experts said that was going to happen. We don't want it to happen. We're doing everything we can to reduce it, but understand what's going on, right? And I mean, I don't know if the success at least in mass of politicians coming out and being that honest um, and keeping their job. We had an issue years ago, we were closing three police districts and the aldermen in those districts are putting up this huge fight. And I went to one of them, go, what are you doing? He goes, no, they know we made a deal with the mayor's office. They know we're going to rip them in the media because we have to, because that's how we'll keep our votes. But we told them, go ahead, close the districts. I'm like, oh, all right. Last question really quickly. Cause we know we got a hard stop in a couple of minutes. Give us an idea, and you mentioned in your report, some of the things that do work on addressing youth crime and violence. Well, um, as I was saying, keeping kids out of the justice system works, empowering communities and community organizations to work with them to um, address the harm that they've caused, to identify what's going on and work with those kids and families, or just to deflect them away from the justice system and give them time to grow up and keep them away from court. We know that um, charging kids as adults doesn't work and keeping them in the justice system, the youth justice system does work and working with them in the community um, works. Um, so, and those are the, the evidence is overwhelming. Um, and yet there's sort of a knee jerk response to, we gotta be tougher when tougher with kids in crime, giving the kids a chance to grow up and age out of whatever misbehaviors is much more effective than trying to fix them with punishment. All right, Richard, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, for everyone, there will be a link to his report and the notes uh, for the pod. And if you're watching us on YouTube and Facebook, it'll also be there. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. All right, thanks so much. Welcome back. Once again, I want to thank Richard for jumping on the pod with us. It was a great interview. Really, really informative about what the data says around 2020. We'll have to wait about what it says in 21 and 22. And once again, this is why, you know, academic research at times is far more, is far superior to journalism and not always, right? Last few weeks in the pod, we've talked to some great journalists, impactful journalists or journalists that have done some really impactful work. That said, it's really hard to be, it's a, it's a problem ingrained into the fabric of our daily journalism. This idea that we have to report on these events and 
most of that reporting is absent any context of, of what's actually really going on, right? Because they're looking at these narrow individual projects and you're not talking about the whole. That's a huge problem. And especially when you get the beat reporters, and especially when you turn um, what used to be police reporters looking at the police as an institution that somehow overlapped with crime too into crime reporters, which is what we have now. And it becomes really hard and it becomes even worse on television. The nightly news, man, or the daily news, where they got to be churning out stories every few hours or they have eight hours to do a story on a big crime. Yeah, the television news, really hard. Eight hours, they got to pump out a story with video. Really hard to do that well, especially around crime and violence. But, 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 it's really vital that it is done well. Because if we cannot define the problem accurately and the causes, there's no way we are ever going to come up with creating a solution. Right? And a lot of the news, it's gang-involved, drug-revolved, bigger criminal justice system, fun cops, fun prosecutors, more cops, more prosecutors, more courts, more judges, more prisons, more jails. You know, if you, if you can't determine what is gang involved versus what is interpersonal violence and what's at the root causes of a lot of these, we're really lost. And we're just, we're just, you know, the definition of insanity, right, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We're doing it again. We're doing it again, for the most part. Kim Fox has broken that up to some degree. A lot of the progressive pro prosecutors around the country have broken that up. And it was actually in the process of being broken up coalition uh, by coalitions of politicians both on the federal level and local level between republicans and democrats working together because the republicans have come to realize using data and research that the the the, the effectiveness of our justice system is far less than we were all made to believe and that's why Research is so vitally important. And once again, I highly recommend everyone watch it. If you can get it, watch the documentary Cash for Kids. It's really, really interesting. So there, in the show notes will be a link to Richard's report. Also in the show note will be our Patreon. Link, a link to our Patreon. Please become a subscriber. We'd really appreciate it. Um, we're starting to post uh, new content there that is only available through our Patreon. So I talked about the high-intensity drug trafficking areas um, that's related to our transparency work here in D.C. and Maryland and on the federal level. And this last week I talked about, um, it just posted the other day, um, yesterday morning, on Wednesday morning, the 3rd, um, about our litigation, status of our litigation against the state's attorney's office, the Illinois Department of Corrections, and here in D.C. against the Metropolitan Police Department. So... We're going to be posting to the Patreon once a week with content you can't get anywhere else. Okay. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back with you next week. Have a great day.